Hey guys, what's up? I am so excited about today's episodes. With the holidays coming up, I just wanted to be sure that the conversation around alcohol and substance abuse was had. I know that this could be an uncomfortable topic, an uncomfortable conversation. And you know what? I don't know where everybody is at in terms of approaching these things during the holidays. And so you know what? I just wanted to have the conversation. And today our guest is just so educated and experienced on the topic that I thought it'd be so great to have her on the podcast. So today I have a really awesome conversation for you guys to listen in on with Rachel Bowling. Rachel is a substance use disorder counselor. She's a coach, she's a writer, and she's also a military veteran. She specializes in working with LGBTQIA and those interested in harm reduction as a healing modality, as well as veterans. So guys, I'm so excited for you to tune in today. If this hits home, I just want you to know that you're not alone. There are definitely ways to cope and manage through this season. And if you need to, please reach out to a professional. Guys, I am definitely not a professional. I'm just somebody here who wants to start the conversation. So if you guys want to check out Rachel, she's on Instagram at Whole Human Heart. So go check her out. Go slide in her DMs. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey friends, and welcome to the Let's Get Uncomfy podcast. I'm your host, Annie, Air Force officer turned serial entrepreneur, author, CEO, fitness expert, and personal growth junkie. Honestly though, guys, I'm just like you. I choose every single day to get uncomfy in pursuit of what others consider unlikely. And that's exactly how I built a life I am freaking obsessed with. And I want you to know that you're capable of the same. Here in this fam, yes, you're officially a part of the fam. We choose every day to quit our excuses, ditch the negativity, and embrace our best lives. Literally nothing is off the table when it comes to the conversations we're going to have together. We'll chat fitness, mental health, relationships, personal growth, business, and I'm certain we're going to laugh together. But please don't hold it against me if we cry together too. I know you'll leave this episode with the confidence and excitement to grow from your mistakes, pursue your passions, and ultimately own your life. Now let's get on with it. It's time to get uncomfy. All right, guys. Hey, we are back with the Let's Get Uncuffy podcast. <laughs> um, we're here with Rachel Bowling. And guys, if you don't know her, you need to. I have been just honestly like binge consuming your content. <laughs> um, not uh, Is that kind of like a play on words in terms of the topic we're talking about today? But Rachel, I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. I am really excited about this topic just because we were talking right before I hit record, you know, we're coming up on the holidays. So I truthfully think this is a really timely episode and everybody can obviously tell from the title of the episode that we're talking about drinking. We're talking about substance abuse. We're talking about being sober, how to decide how to properly drink, how to properly use anything, you know, so kind of talking about all those subjects. And I think, you know, going into the holidays, it's going to be really cool to give people something to think about and leading up to, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas, New Year's, you know, I wanted to ask you right off the bat kind of to share if you're comfortable, share a little bit about your story and you know why you're so passionate about this topic, because I'm sure people will kind of love to know where you're coming from. Yeah, definitely. So that's always a, an interesting question for me because I want to be like, well, I was born on December 18th. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> well, hey, your birthday's no. coming up. 
It is, yeah, it is, which is which is exciting. But yeah, so you know, alcohol abuse and addiction were things that were a part of my personal life for a really long time. I grew up in a household uh, with an alcoholic parent, so that lended itself obviously to some really trying and traumatic experiences that informed who I became in my later years and my own addiction that I, you know, dealt with for. Probably I would say I was actively in addiction for about seven years, you know, during which time I was able to accomplish things, which tends to be the case for a lot of people. And I think is, is maybe we can touch on this later, but like how people are able to sort of move through it in a way that doesn't, you know, necessarily understand that it is as problematic as it is. I was very good at that. I was very good at being like, I'm totally fine. What are you talking about? When I was not. So later it finally came to a head, sort of all of my, my using, I was sort of an equal opportunity consumer of intoxicants and it all kind of came to a head. I ended up in a very toxic relationship, which ended up being the sort of final catalyst toward looking at myself and being like, Jesus Christ, I can't do this anymore. I need to. Mm need to make some different choices. So yeah, at that point I joined NA or Narcotics Anonymous, which is a 12 step program and did that for about two years, two years. And I worked really intimately with a sponsor. You know, I was a secretary of a meeting. I did the 90, not 90 meetings in 90 days. I was really, really adamant about, about turning myself around. Um, and then after about two years, yeah, it just sort of became apparent to me that the ideology to which I'm more honestly subscribed was not aligned with a 12-step model. And I'm deeply appreciative of all the learning I did there and of how eager and, and welcoming they were for a spiritually really broken person. But yeah, and so then I stepped back with a therapist with other communities and I started doing um, psychedelic therapy, which has proven remarkably helpful. Not only has my own healing sort of, you know, become part of my reason that I want to give back to others in the same capacity, but also our relationship to substances, to alcohol, to cannabis, to whatever it is that you're using, is such a brilliant mirror or reflection of our own relationship to ourselves. And so helping people really step into an understanding of that and helping them gauge where they are is phenomenal. And it's really remarkable the strides that people can make once they're able to, to have a better handle on that. Oh, I love that so much. And I'm so grateful that you're like so open to share that with us and be so open about your journey. Because truthfully, I think that your story, probably a lot of people can relate to it more people than we know, more people than are openly honest about it, right? You know, I think a lot of people struggle in silence. And that's definitely something something you said that really hit home was like, you know, I told myself there wasn't a problem. Like, <laughs> it's fine. We're fine. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, it's like that meme of like I don't know, it's uh, the like a little... the firehouse thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like the house is burning down. It's like we're fine. <laughs> yeah, it's totally good. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, yeah, like this is this is casual, and I actually think that we live in a society now where and we do normalize binge drinking, we do normalize over usage, we do normalize substances to a point that isn't probably healthy. Um, and so I think a lot of people listening to this, I think it's an uncomfy topic because who wants to be told, Hey, take a deeper look at yourself. Nobody wants to be told that, right? Nobody wants to have to do that. Furthermore, the work to continue to improve yourself through whether it is, you know, an AA program, a 12 step program, um, psychedelic therapy, even going to therapy, talking to someone, even just telling your friends and family that you think you might, you know, even just being open to yourself about it. Like it's uncomfy. Right. Um, which I think is why this is such an appropriate topic to be talking about on the podcast. So my first question to you, and it kind of relates to your journey, and then maybe you can relate to the people listening here, but how did you know? And when did you get to a point? I know you said it kind of came to a head. I know that maybe that was, maybe it was an event, maybe it was that relationship, but 
how do you know when your use or your drinking becomes an issue that you need to take a deeper look at? Yeah, definitely. So I will take that in sort of two parts. The first being how I realized my own was an issue. And I think for me, there was a duality at play in my experience and that there was a part of me that was to some degree conscious of how much damage I was doing to myself. But the much larger part of me was too invested in what were then benefits of my engaging in those behaviors. Finally, I guess when it became too much is when I, I got fired from a job, the relationship that I was in basically fell apart because I was just not able to be a partner. It was very hard for me to be a friend. Even my relationships with my family had become very strained and, uh, you know, because you sort of necessarily isolate. And I think too, what I learned throughout that time is that you almost become a magnet for people who don't really care about you. Because if you were surrounded by people who cared about you, they would say, Hey, Something's going on here. What do you what's what's happening with with this behavior? And so, and they're not necessarily bad people just because they don't have the capacity to care about you, right? Like the ones that you end up inviting into your space. They're just usually in similar spaces. And so also want people who don't have the capacity to care about them. And so at one point I sort of looked up and I was like, oh my God, I don't have real relationships. Like mm. I don't have genuine friendships. I don't have, I maybe one or two, right? Because you know, statistically, I feel like it's, you know, you're bound to, but and there and you know wonderful people who did end up contributing to my being saved certainly yeah it was just a brokenness i think that i'd not yet confronted in my in my relationship to it and it was cumulative also so there while there was sort of this one thing like a partner being like i can't do this like you're going to have to leave it was also many traumas that i'd sustained like through my my using through my drinking that then just arrived right at my doorstep and we're like, hey, we can't be ignored anymore. And so here we are. That was my experience of realizing like this has become too problematic to be sustainable anymore. And what I would say more generally in terms of how can you recognize if your drinking is becoming an issue or if, or if your use is becoming an issue is that it is, it's really subjective. You know, I had friends who were totally fine with what they were using and what they were doing and they were doing it at the same amount that I was, but I was not fine. So what that means is that it requires you to sort of cultivate a really intimate relationship with yourself and what your standards are for who you are. So if you are not achieving things that you know you want to be achieving, if you're sort of backburnering passions that should not be backburnered and that you really, really want to get done, but you're hungover the next day, or you know, you don't, you're too tired all the time, or you're wasting money on however many white claws you want to drink every night, those I think can be indicative. Also, you know, physical health obviously can be a really big big hallmark, like, hey, if your liver's doing some things, you probably take a look at what's going on. Look at the relationships in your life and just see how real they are. Right. And and that too can be a reflection of your relationship to yourself. So while ultimately it is it is very subjective, it varies from person to person, you can sort of gauge for yourself like, oh, I want to be somewhere different than where I am right now. Is this part of why? Mm, I love that. I, I love that. And I think it does take a person who wants to be there, right? And who wants to maybe achieve more or do more or like they're ready to kind of accept that about themselves. Cause I wonder this is kind of a question, you can keep it vague in general, you know, the people who are using, drinking, consuming to an extent and uh, at a level that, you know, for one person, they're taking a look at it and they're saying, this, I'm not okay. And those people that are, that say, I'm fine. This is chill. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. This is great. This is what I want. Like, do you think that those people are, you know, deep down, maybe lying to themselves? Maybe they're, they're expressing that, that they're fine. They're fine. They're fine. Um, 
and they're not, or what, what are your thoughts or truthfully, like if they're just happy with that, then that's that. And, and there's no issue there. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think so. The first thing that came into my mind were the various addiction models. And so initially there was the um, moral model, which is like, oh, you drink and use because you're a bad person. And then thankfully we graduated from that uh, and have what is now most prevalent, the disease model, which is, oh, okay, well, it's a disease. So you don't really have much agency, you know, switch is flipped. You go from, I think it's the phrase, a cucumber to a pickle, and you can't go from a pickle to a cucumber, et cetera. Uh, and we're shifting when I think, which is a really, really good thing into uh, more of a trauma model. So the sort of emerging relationship between trauma and addiction or problematic use or whatever you want to call it is becoming more and more undeniable. And the thing about trauma is that there is a very real capacity in every person to repress that. So in terms of whether or not people who are using to their detriment or who are using uh, in a way that that appears problematic but are not yet ready to look at it, I think that can absolutely be a thing. And because yeah. it's scary, it can be really, really scary to have to confront the most challenging things that have ever happened to you and then to take away your security blanket and be like, oh, also you don't get this thing that helps you feel okay when you feel miserable, right? So, so absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just going to speak on my personal experience. We actually, before I hit record, I was kind of sharing some stuff with you and that I am be, I'm right now currently sober. I am not drinking. I'm, I'm abstaining from all the things. Um, and that is, uh, just a decision I made, but, but truthfully, the crazy thing is that, you know, um, it's not like anything big happened to make that be the choice I made. But looking back, you know, being a person that I'm a super reflective person, um, I do, you know, take a look at my past, decide, hey, these are the things that probably contributed to me not reaching this goal, not making this happen, not having these relationships, you know, maybe even ruining certain things in my life. And a common trend for me, uh, somebody who I, I truthfully do have an addictive personality, um, truthfully, most of the things in my life, either I'm doing it a hundred percent or it's zero. Right. And so I found that to be a trend with drinking and with alcohol for me. Right. And a lot of the hard moments, the, the things I think back on in my past that were very damaging, were really hard that I'm almost shameful about, right? A lot of those have to do when I was consuming and drinking. And that was a point for me. And, and I've been doing this recently where, you know, I'll stop drinking for a month and then I'm like, okay, I can, I can chill. I'm chill. I'm chill. Right. And then maybe one thing happens and I'm like, Ugh, you know, and then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to drink now for, for six weeks. I'm good. I'm going to be sober. Right. Yeah. So I just think it's super interesting because maybe somebody else who is drinking or consuming at the same rate as me, they're like, wait, this is fine. Like, you know, <laughs> I, like well, there's no issue here. Right. So it, it is super personal. And I, so I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And you know, a point that, that came up for me too, as you were, as you were rounding that out, that I think is super important and that maybe we were both sort of circling in our own way is intention. We're not always conscious of our intentions, but if you're drinking to avoid something, or if it is sort of an escapist practice, then that's very different than someone whose intention is just to genuinely have a good time. That I think can be a really big, uh, different differentiating factor between those two people who might be drinking the same amount, but whose experience and whose results are going to be really, really different. That's so true. Yeah, totally. That's the nail on the head. We we're both kind of like talking around that. <laughs> exactly. I, was like, I think we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the next thing I was going to ask, but I think we actually even covered it was just like, is sobriety something that everybody should consider? And maybe I can spin this in a little way. Do you think that there's a place and a time for sobriety? And do you think that it would benefit 
everybody to try it once, you know, try it for a certain time. Like, is there, are there benefits of sobriety? I think I saw, um, I was reading a post on your page and it's just like, you know, here are the things that could happen if you decided to be sober for a month, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So it's funny when you were asking that question, something struck me as weird. And I was like, it is very strange that we talk about periods of sobriety as being different from the norm. You know what I mean? Cause like yeah. sobriety is our human baseline. That's where we operate. We're like, maybe I should try it for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> like, but, but yeah, I think, I think, of course, I think, um, so transparency, I'm someone who is a really big fan of, of, um, altered states of consciousness. I think that they're incredibly valuable. I think that we can learn so much about ourselves, about our experience, about, um, you know, the sort of relatively unknowable existential goings on that are being a human. Um, but sobriety is also one of those really important states. And so, yeah, I think any, I think anyone would be served by a period of it. I think it's important to make sure that you have the appropriate parameters, the, the appropriate support, but absolutely. Oh my God. When you, when you step into the clearing, right. Of total sobriety and you've got nothing with you and you're just like, Oh, here I am. Here are my thoughts. Here are my feelings. Here are my experiences. It can be really, really earth earth shifting. So yeah, I think absolutely anybody would be benefited by, by um, intentional and dedicated time spent just with themselves. Yeah. So that being said, you know, maybe somebody listening, whether they think that use consumption, drinking, whatever has become an issue in their life and they're considering sobriety or somebody who's just like, Hey, you know, maybe I want to try not drinking on the weekends with my friends. Maybe I just want to see what that's like, right? Like what are some tips for these people that might be considering going sober and tips in general. And then maybe also we can chat tips going into the holidays. Oh yeah, totally. So definitely. I think the first thing that I always like to say to people is it, it's not forever, right? It does not have to be forever. Cause that can feel really overwhelming. It's just the idea that I gave it up, but I can never go back. And it's so much, and it, no, it's okay. Like if you don't want to drink for a week, cool. If you don't want to drink for a day, that's fine. So really just giving yourself some grace and saying what I, what I'm comfortable with, I can push myself a little, but it's okay. Right. Like just to, to make small changes is fine. And then the probably biggest tip and the most helpful thing across the board for anyone, regardless, my dog is, <laughs> whether or not you're trying to do sustained sobriety or just for an evening is have a plan. Like it, you know, we, we get into these rhythms. We're like, oh, I'm just not going to drink tonight. It'll be fine. What? No, it's not going to be just fine. No, create a container for yourself wherein you have external support because particularly with something like alcohol, which is, uh, it, it's, it sort of perpetuates itself and that once you have one, it makes you want to have more, right? That's the whole the big part of what it is. So have, having external accountability, whether that's somebody else who, you know, checks in on you, a trusted other, um, making sure that you match your water to your alcohol intake, which means if you take a shot, you need eight ounces of water, right? <laughs> making sure that you eat enough if you're going to be drinking. So yeah, just, just generally making sure you have a plan always, yeah. always, always helps. And I definitely think, you know, going off that is like having a plan for me also, it's like letting the people know, like if I'm going to an event before you get there, Hey guys, um, I'm doing this for me. You, they don't need to know why, but just, you know, say, Hey, it's my decision. I'm not drinking tonight. And I just want to let you know, because I don't want to be pressured into it. <laughs> like, this is just my decision. So thank you for respecting it and kind of owning your decision, letting the people know like, Hey guys, like I'm kind of holding my ground here. You know, it would be really easy to walk in an event, a, an occasion, a 
party at whatever it is gathering and in your head you're like I'm not drinking it's gonna be fine it's fine and then you walk in there and somebody's like we're taking shots and you're like fuck <laughs> fine <laughs> like like uh okay I have to like I have to be fun and so if you don't verbalize it I think like verbalizing things telling people you know that's a form of accountability which you said but just more specifically letting people know so that they're aware you know so that when they're like shots they're like it's fine I, Annie's gonna take the video of us or Annie's gonna <laughs> Annie's gonna whatever you know and like and being fine with that you know yeah that's such a good point such a good point because not only is that external accountability because it's also internal accountability because then you know if you go back on it right they're gonna be like oh she doesn't which it helps it does yeah. it can be a really useful tool and I've actually taken shots of orange juice a lot of times <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. You totally. You could be like, I'm. I'm taking a shot too. It's gonna be of a something else. Right. Yeah. Water. But when you're ritual, but not in the. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I'm totally with that on having a plan for sure. I was gonna ask. You know, I saw this little phrase on your Instagram and. I really liked it. So it says, I used to binge drink every weekend and think it couldn't be an issue because I was doing it with friends. What do you have to say for people who, you know, m might be of this mindset or, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it earlier, but we do. We exist in a culture that is absolutely saturated with the idea that binge drinking is something we celebrate, right? It's, it's a ritual now, it is. It's become this thing that we just do it and it's hilarious. And can you believe she blacked out? It's insane. Um, yeah, and I would just, again, it sort of comes back to intention. It comes back to safety also. <laughs> and knowing your limits and knowing how to keep yourself safe. So yeah, if, if you're somebody who is engaged in that, and also I would again, just encourage you to look at your relationships. Who are these people that you're, that you're doing this with? Are they, are they really deep relationships? Do you need alcohol to have fun with these people? You know, and, and what is your expectation also when you're doing that? And how do you feel the next day? Yeah, again, it, it, it's just about making sure you're okay because you, ultimately are in charge of yourself and you have agency. So, and actually that is, that's something also that I'm, I'm a really big proponent of is what's called harm reduction. Mm. And so it is not exclusively sobriety, which, which tends to be what we look at societally also is the only alternative to, to like binge drinking or problematic use. It's like, well, nope, you just gotta be totally sober. You don't, right? Harm reduction is that introduction of a plan where it says, you know what? I only want to have two tonight. And so then you really, you, you erect a lot of really robust scaffolding around that and you try to stick to it. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. You don't need to shame yourself. It, it's, it's information. So if something didn't work, you now have more information so that next time you can make a better plan. I like okay. that a lot. I'm just going to say, cause I am the person that I have done that so many times. I'm just going to have a drink Mm -hmm. I'm going to have two drinks and I know that just who I am, I can't do it. <laughs> like I cannot, especially if the vibe around me is, you know, three, four plus drink, whatever, you know, that's the vibe for the night. And I've gone in with saying, yeah, I'll have two drinks and then I'll peace out. Like I know I, I match the vibe of the room. If the vibe is for sure, Hey, we're girls tonight. We're having a glass of wine. Let's have another glass of wine and we're chilling. We're going home. Cool. I can do two drinks. Right. But if the vibe is exceeding that two drink max that I put on myself, I know I can't do it. And so for me personally, I have to be either sober or all right, I'm here for it. And I'm not going to shame myself. And my intention tonight is yeah, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to match the vibe of the room. I'm going to be smart about it. Right. <laughs> if Kayla is listening, Kayla and Haley, if y'all are listening to this, um, we do, the, we do the water, uh, they're like the water police for me, you know, 
guys, if you need a water police, you know, it's okay. Don't be shamed about it. I, I do. <laughs> and they're the water police. And it's like every drink I, like you said, I match it with water. Mm-hmm. And those are hands down the better nights. It's where, you know, you're feeling it, you're good, but you don't get to that blackout. You don't get that to that alter ego person that does the things that you don't want to do. Right? Want <laughs> right? So that's <laughs> probably Becky. <laughs> she sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Becky's the worst. <laughs> Becky sucks. <laughs> uh, I think that was Trisha for whatever reason. I don't know why. There was never that Trisha was here. I was like, fuck. Fuck. Uh, Tell Trisha to go home. No, but you actually brought up something really important too, which is it was originally utilized in psychedelic settings or created for psychedelic settings, which is set and setting. The set is the mindset you're bringing into your drinking. How do you feel? Right? How did, how did you, how did you feel? Did you have a hard week? Right? Did you get in a really big fight with your partner? Are you feeling great? And the setting, which is what you were talking about, like matching the vibe is where are you going to be? Who are you going to be with? What is the vibe going to be? And just really paying attention to those things can make a world of difference. Because if your goal is like, I'm gonna have two drinks and you're going to a place where they're doing keg stands, Maybe just don't go to the place, you know, it's making those informed decisions. So yeah, it was a really good point. Yeah. I like that. And another thing that brought up just actually, it was with something you said before, was just like taking a look at, you know, the relationships. Cause I mean, let's be honest, a lot of times drinking, consuming, using for the most, I'm going to, I'm not going to say obviously rule, but for a lot of times it's in community, it's with other people, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a sense of bonding. Right. And so what I realized with myself is sometimes when I look back at myself at the weekends, that was just binge drinking after binge drinking after binge drinking. Right. It was like, I was taking a look at it. I'm like, you know, the relationships I'm forming with these people, it's, it's a lot of blacking out. It's a lot of things that are just doing dumb stuff (laughs) and laughing about it. And like, sure. Yeah, it's funny. Okay. But at the the end of the day, I wake up hungover and I literally don't want to look at these people or I just like want to go home, you know, and then I have my other relationships, people that I can actually like dive deep with people that I can actually set goals with and talk about other things with. And I, I sat back and I realized, and I was like, the relationships I have with the people that I'm, you know, binge drinking with on the weekends, like, like it's like it's like eh, you know and um and so I realized that if the binge drinking was also making me feel crappy and the people I was doing it around they weren't necessarily people I needed to have in my life you know it was like hey well let me reflect on that because I can stop the binge drinking yeah that'll stop my relationship most likely with these people but it's okay because now my my intention is to actually go down this path. And these are the things I want to accomplish in those relationships. That thing was, those were holding me back. I don't know. That was just something that I kind of thought of was just taking a real look at like the people you're doing those things with, you know, are they supportive? Are they your real friends? Are they your real people? What level of like relationships are those, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I'm wondering too, how many times did you make really drunken plans with people and you woke up and you were like, that's never going to happen. I'm never going to do that. Oh my God. So many times. Look at my phone. It's like brunch in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> no, don't sign me up for that. The number of times I like made plans to go camping with strangers. I was like, what am I doing? I want to get murdered, I guess. Like what <laughs> in the world? Yeah. God. Trisha wants to go camping with strangers. Apparently, dear God. <laughs> that is so funny. Okay, kind of merging on now. We did talk about shame and healing. And so I kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit, you know, 
when you do set an intention of, Hey, you know, I'm going to be sober. I'm going to have two drinks. What when you mess up, cause we're all going to fuck up. Right. And there there's shame that comes along with that. There's feelings of self-worth that in capability, you know, all the, all the sort of things that come along with that. Have you experienced that? And then also like, how do you manage that? How do you work through that? Mm-hmm. Have I experienced that? When you asked that, I, I almost, I viscerally was like, Ugh. <laughs> so yes, I have. Yes, I, I very much have. I think shame was sort of the perpetual thing that kept my drinking wheel turning through my entire twenties, because it was, it was very cyclic. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to drink a shit ton. And then I'm going to feel terrible the next day. I had a very good friend too. And I was trying, she's still one of my favorite people in my whole life when I was trying to stop drinking. And she said, you would call me the next morning. And she's like, it broke my heart. She was like, I never heard someone that low. And I didn't remember that because I was in like a good place when she re- like reflected that back to me. I was like, really? She was like, yeah. And yeah, it, it's a really, really painful thing. It's an intimate thing. And it's it's a compounding thing because, because shame wants us to isolate. It wants us to be alone. And we don't heal alone. We just don't. What was the second part of your question? How can we kind of manage that? Have people mm, are yeah. that are experiencing that? Like, what are the kind of, how did you manage that? How did you work through that? Yeah, I, I honestly can say wholeheartedly that it was with other people, with, with loving others who made space for me, who showed up for me repeatedly and taught me how to love myself, right? Like a big part of actually 12-step programs is um, we're going to love you until you can love yourself, which is really, really beautiful. And is not exclusive to 12-step programs either, though. You can find people, coaches, therapists, people who will hold that space for you also, friends, parents, siblings, whatever. But yeah, and really just implementing practices into your life that are self-compassionate. So really making a point of saying, I am going to love myself, whatever that means. And and one thing that I look back on my recovery journey, I don't wish that I'd done it differently, but I, I have sort of a lot of love for who I was in that stage because I didn't change because I loved myself. I changed because I hated myself and I didn't want to be that person anymore. But it is equally, if not more motivating, no, not even maybe, it is, it's it's much more motivating if you change because you love yourself. And I'm not saying that's immediately available, but you, you have every reason to, you deserve to love yourself. You are eminently lovable just by innately being a person, you are. And more practically, I think what that can look like is again, making a plan for yourself. So if you fall short of whatever expectation you'd set for yourself, Okay, so I know that in my plan, I have people that I call who are going to lift me up. I have a good meal that I'm going to make for myself. I'm going to nap. I'm going to do things for myself that are really loving. I'm going to take a long ass bath uh, and just really holding space for yourself in a way that says, I am okay. I am still worthy. I am forever worthy. And it will be okay because it will. It absolutely will. Yeah. Oh, and shame is definitely something. something I've had seasons of, you know, and I think it's, I think it has a lot to do with it. That whole intention thing we were talking about, right. It's like, if you don't have the intention to set certain boundaries for yourself around certain things, if you have no intention going into a night, you're just like, yo, I'm going to have fun, right. You're going to wake up and you, and you don't feel shame. You don't feel mm-hmm. remorse. You just feel like, Whoa, yeah, we have fun. Right. <laughs> and what comes to mind for me is in college, when I was this was honestly at the beginning of this whole like binge drinking phase for me. I had a friend who we would wake up the next morning and she'd be like, oh, she'd always feel be so I could feel her heaviness and it would be like nothing bad even would happen. But she'd be like, you know, like those like 
that like feeling after you drink and you wake up and you're just like, what did I do wrong? Who did I hurt? What did I say? What happened? You know? And I, I literally remember this conversation. I looked at her and I was like, no, I mean, I just laugh at the dumb shit I did. Like, you know, and it's so interesting. We were in so different places, right. About that. Cause she, she probably set a certain intention for herself and woke up and had broken that, you know, time after time again, you know, and, and at I, my intention was completely different. So I woke up feeling like, yeah, I'm hungover. I feel like crap, but also just like, eh, whatever. Right. But it's, it's crazy. Cause I entered a season of shame once I realized, you know, some of the damages that I was doing in my life, some of the damage. Right. And so then I started to understand that shame that she was talking about that, like remorse, that like heaviness when you wake up and you're just like, Oh, you know, and I love what you said about community and kind of setting yourself up for that support system. I think it's really important to like have at least somebody, right. And I would be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like somebody who you can be like really honest with about like what you're struggling with, where you're at with it, when you mess up, when you are, you know, you feel really proud of yourself, you know, somebody, whether it's a group, whether it's a person that you can really go to and be really honest. Cause I think it gets really heavy and shameful when we have to hold it all in by ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, you know, speaking as a counselor and a coach too, I, I believe to the nth degree in having someone hold a really neutral space for you, right? Someone where you can come in and just unload and, and say the things you need to say, be the person that you truly are without expectation. There, It is invaluable and miraculous what happens in those spaces. Uh, so yes, absolutely. And, and even if it's not someone who is professionally holding that space for you, definitely just having people who are willing to be there for you to, to carry some of it. It's funny. I started recently and I think it'll sound more callous than it is, but I've started sort of seeing people almost as fueling stations and myself also. Right. So it's like, okay, when I can help fuel people up, I'm happy to do that. I love doing that. That's, that's a huge part of my life. And when I need to, I, when I need some myself, I have the people that I go to and if they're available, that's great. And we do, it's a very reciprocal thing. And to cultivate those relationships is incredibly important to healing because we don't, we don't heal alone. Mm, I love that. As we talk about healing, I know you had brought this up before. I'm, I'm genuinely curious because I've never really divin into the space, divin into the space. It's not a freaking <laughs> word. That's okay. Own it. It's good as now. Dove, dove? Would it be dove into the space? Uh, I've never dived into the space. Dive? Oh my God. It's a weird. I, <laughs> I've never dived into the space, but the idea of psychedelics as a healing tool, can we, can you chat about the basics of it? And I'm probably going to have quite more questions on that, honestly, as you sure. have that conversation. Yeah. So I, I don't at all want to, want to promote myself as being an expert in the area because I'm not, I'm, I'm sort of young in my exploration of it as well, but I, I do, I work with, um, a very experienced therapist around it and, you know, she has a healing lineage that goes back quite a while, which is really cool. And it's really exciting because it's, we're in sort of the set, second psychedelic renaissance now. And I know you said, I'm, I'm going to, I can feel myself talking about things that are, it's fine. So uh, to keep it, yeah, to keep it more basic, so right now they are, um, the most research is being put into MDMA or Molly and uh, psilocybin or mushrooms. And what we are learning is that MDMA is basically the perfect therapeutic tool in that it shuts down your amygdala, which is the fear center of your brain, and then really enhances your frontal lobe. So you have access to all of this emotional goings on without the fear 
right? Or the, those walls that typically stand in the way. And so it's this sort of, I don't want to say unlimited, but it's a much more expanded access. And then you have uh, a professional caring other with you to sort of companion you through those experiences. And, you know, what my therapist said to me that was so moving. And when we were discussing whether or not it was something I wanted to undertake was that, you know, she's like, I've been doing this work for 20, 25 years. And I did not believe that you could overcome trauma. I just thought that it was something we needed to learn to compassionately companion. And she said that once she started doing medicine work or working with psychedelics, she was seeing people genuinely overcome trauma in ways that were really, really remarkable. And yeah, that's, that's sort of happening across the board. You know, there are a lot of conversations to have around it too, in terms of making sure that appropriate representation is made for, for indigenous communities who have been using it, you know, ceremonially for ages, ceremonially for, for ages. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really, really fascinating. Uh, psilocybin also, you know, you have, and this might be a little bit too much, but you have sort of the classical psychedelics that are more ego disrupting and then MDMA, which is uh, more an, an empathogen. Yeah, I mean, do you have specific questions? Because I could go for far longer, probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious about it all. So is it something that happens? So like you do it with this person? Yeah. So again, you know, that's also a conversation. Like it, you know, there are, there are schools of thought that say it is a ceremonial medicine that you need to set specific intentions for with a guide, with someone who has a lot of experience. And then there are other schools of thought that say, it's a natural thing that grows out of the earth in the case of psilocybin. And so you were sort of meant to have access to it. And as long as you're doing it responsibly, do it responsibly. Uh, healing should not be sort of gatekept by, you know, licensed professionals. And so, you know, it, it just depends. And for me, sort of, as always, it comes back to intention and safety and education also is also a major component, right? Making sure you know what you're doing because they can be really scary and they can fuck some shit up in your psyche and in your sort of um, yeah. idea of self. So, which I guess is the safety thing. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting to me. I'm a super open-minded person. And so everybody listening, it might be an uncomfortable conversation. Maybe you're like apt to just close-minded and like, ah, bah, nah, nah, now don't, you know, oh my gosh, she's talking about drugs on her podcast. What a, <laughs> what a psycho Annie is coming, you know, turning on to what is a becoming, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's so interesting to hear different ways of healing, different ways of dealing and coping and processing. And like, I truly believe that we're all just like on our own journey of self-discovery and figuring it out. And there's going to be different answers for everybody. So, you know, who knows, maybe somebody listening to this needed to know that that's a thing and can kind of dive into it. And even maybe DM you chat more about that. Definitely. Maybe, you know, whatever, whatever comes from that. But I, I thought that was a super interesting thing. And you talk about it a lot in your good, good bit on your page too. So I just figured I'd ask some questions about it. Yeah. And if I can interject, because this, yeah. it, this is something that feels really, um, it's usually on my heart and it is now also is that when you, you know, you mentioned like perception of drug users. And I think it's really important that we touch on that because, you know, harm reduction and basically everything that I've said during this podcast is a harm reduction tool or practice. And harm reduction is, if you Google it, it'll, it'll say something like it's a range of public health measures taken to, you know, minimize negative uh, physical or societal effects of drug, negative effects of drug use, whatever. But the implication of that is that like, oh, these, these institutions have helped us. No, the reality is that harm reduction was developed by drug sex workers um, to keep one another safe because those same institutions wanted nothing to do with people who were using harder drugs or who didn't want to practice abstinence. So 
it feels very important to me that we acknowledge where these things came from and not just sort of walk away with a really privileged access to these things that were very hard won by communities that have been um, largely and for very long times marginalized. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing too. And, and also just to, like you said, I think where we started this was even just like the perception of, you know, this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, judgment and fear of judgment. And so maybe somebody listening to this is like, yo, I really need this, or I really need to consider this, but I'm, I'm scared what people will say in my life or that can be attributed to, you know, Hey, I, I really need to consider sobriety, but I'm scared. People are going to think like, Oh, I'm an addict. If I you right. know, go sober, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, if you, yeah, I was at, um, I was getting drinks with some girlfriends a few weeks ago and I asked the guy, the, the waiter, right. And they're all getting these cute, it was like Aperol spritz sort of things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can you make one like that? But just no alcohol, just make it look cute. Like make it look like <laughs> I'm, I'm drinking with the girls. And he was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Don't worry. I do that all the time for people like you. And he literally said that I was what? like, people like you. I was like, what does that oh mean? My God. And he walked up, he just said it kind of in passing, walked away. And we looked at each other and I was like, wait, people like me and everyone's like, oh, he for sure thinks you're like in recovery from addiction or something like that. You know, right. I was like, okay. Presumption. Okay. For you. Um, (laughs) But the whole reason I even brought that up is just that you don't need to be in a certain place, state, extremeness, intensity to make a decision for your own life. Right. Like if you decide, yo, I'm going to cut out alcohol, drugs, weed, whatever the heck it is, you know, I don't even sex. Like, I don't know. Like there's so many things to cut out. Right. You know, I'm going to cut this out for a day, week, month, year life. Like you don't have to be in any sort of extreme place to make that decision for yourself. Same thing with, you know, I think like the psychedelic healing thing, like you don't have to think, oh, if I try this, this means this about me. I don't know. I just feel like maybe somebody, people listening might needed to hear that, but thank you so much for saying that because that is such a good point. Really? Like, because we do, we have these sort of extreme polarities that are your options, which is like, I'm an addict, right? Or I just don't even think about it. What? That's so, that's so absurd. Like, and, and two, the idea that you would then, if you're like somebody who doesn't want to drink on the weeknights, would need to go into a meeting and be like, hey guys, I don't want to drink on the weekend. So, or I don't want to drink during the week. So I guess I'm an addict. It's like, no, of course not. No, right. it's okay. You don't want to just like step back for a second. And actually uh, to that end, I'm going to do a little plug here. I have a mindful use and a harm reduction group that meets on Monday nights at 8 p.m. to 9.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome to everybody. We just hold space for you offer support strategy planning and just be really loving so you're obviously anybody who wants to come is more than welcome and yeah thank you so much for bringing that up because it's really true another thing is you don't have to make anybody else feel comfortable about your decision to not drink right Mm. like that came up a lot for me too when I started you know entering into recovery and being sober is I'd be like no 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 it's fine do you feel comfortable are you okay it's like no I don't need to explain I'm I am enough right my choices are enough right right it's just such an interesting honestly, it's so interesting about our, I I guess society is the right word, but like, you know, and especially as a, as a female, right. You know, most of the listeners here are women. And so to say, I'm not drinking it literally, it's like, Oh, are you pregnant? Are you an addict? What's your issue? Right. It's like, there's (laughs) nothing wrong with you. If you choose to abstain from something for a certain period of time, like, you know, and I just wanted to say that also because, you know, kind of wrapping things up a little bit. It's just like, you know, with the, with the holidays coming up with the new year coming up, you know, people might be thinking of, Hey, you know, what's my intention. And I would encourage people listening to have this 
this thought and this conversation even with themselves of just like, Hey, you know, okay. Uh, new year's Eve or like, Hey, this friend Christmas party or this gift exchange, you know, I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to go to this family gathering. I'm going to go to this party for new year's, right? Like set your intentions before you get there. Your intention could be, I want to have fun. I, like I said, I want to match the energy in the room. I want to, maybe your intention is, yo, I just want to, you know, feel good enough that I feel like I can freely talk and converse with people and, you know, like, you know, whatever, but set your intention. Maybe your intention is, yo, I I don't want to drink, which is, which is me. Right. But then it's that putting the plan in place too. Right. So I just wanted to say that. And, and also, you know, going into the new year, people making almost resolutions a little bit, you know, make a plan with that too. Cause it's, it's really easy when you have it in your mind. And when you think about it with yourself and then you arrive to a situation and it's a little less easy to, (laughs) to do that. But I don't know if that brings up anything for you. I just kind of wanted to say that. No, definitely. That was beautiful, really. And you're totally right about the holidays and setting intention and it making plans. Because yeah, it's A, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, which is so stressful already. Then you have the holidays, the added weight of that, of family, of, you know, everything that comes with that. And yeah, so just making sure that you're taking care of yourself. Mm. And, and really, I mean, the setting of intention is essentially a resolution anyway, but mm. just a little bit, I think, more intimate. So really, that's, I mean, you put it beautifully. Just make sure you set intentions for yourself and then or expect you know if, if they don't work out love yourself it's okay just love yourself well in the wake of that and set another intention with different plans mm. yeah I love that and and you're so I actually honestly like my brain totally like farted on the fact that we have we're in a pandemic and m- many people <laughs> might not be uh, going to events and family gatherings and parties and things like that you know so like it's still true if you're sitting on your couch by yourself, right? Like just because no, it's like the, you know, when a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around, does it, you know, did it make a sound? It's like, okay, you drinking two bottles of wine on your couch, but just because you're by yourself doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. So like (laughs) still like reflecting and understanding how that's affecting you. You know, if you are waking up and you're feeling a certain way, I think just like the intention, the reflection, and then, you know, going forward, making a plan with all that is, is super important. Even if you're just by yourself, it doesn't have to be a thing that it's like, oh, it affects me when I'm around people. So anyway, the last thing, Rachel, that I wanted to ask you, I always ask every guest on the podcast, I ask them, this question, it's actually, can it can have nothing to do with the podcast, but what is your hard no and hell yes? So it can be kind of, it's like a tidbit of advice. So it's like, okay, hard no, never do. I've had people say, never do keto, never do. <laughs> somebody said, never do anal sex. Like, wow, okay. Really like two, two polar ends of that. And then, you know, and then a hell yes is like, do this today, right now. I had somebody say, you know, get this vibrator. Like (laughs) again, um, I've had people say, follow your passion, follow your heart. So really it can be anything you want, but hard no and hell yes. What are you? Yeah. So my hard no almost feels aspirational because my hard no is like, don't shit on yourself. Stop. Right. The whole world will take care of that for you. Just don't. So yeah, that that would be my hard no, which I, again, hope to live up to at some point. And I'm a lot better at it now than I was. Hard yes. Hmm. Genuinely vulnerable and intimate relationships. Hard Mm -hmm. yes. 
hard yes and usually uncomfortable yes so in keeping with the theme of the podcast yeah just really put yourself out there make yourself vulnerable it's not going to go well every time but when it does it will make every other one of those times that crashed and burned worth it times a million so true just your talk of shame now vulnerability connection are you a fan of Brene Brown oh of course Queen Brene right oh my god I just feel like you vibe you would vibe you know you're what you what you said is kind of vibed with her. I so agree with both of those. I actually made a, I was talking yesterday about like hype. It's almost like the opposite of your hard no. It's like hype yourself up because yeah. who else is gonna like, you know, the world is so quick to shit on everybody. So if you're going to do that also with yourself, like, mm, like yeah. that's just a heavy existence, <laughs> you know, which is, which is very true. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are in that place. And so no shame about it. Just like, you know, making the realizing that you're doing it and, and switching it up. So anyway, I just love that. I love your mentality and, and just everything that you've shared today. And I, I know people listening can relate to this and hopefully, you know, maybe they send this to somebody who would never otherwise listen to the let's get a coffee podcast and share this because it is such a, I think universal topic and a hot topic right now that maybe people aren't talking about because it's uncomfy, right? It's a hard conversation <laughs> to have, but I just wanted to last ask, you know, where can people find you? What do you offer? You talked about your group that you host on Monday nights, which I just love, right? It is Monday, right? Mm-hmm. So where can people find you and just kind of, what are you, what are you offering right now? Yeah, so I am at uh, at Whole Human Heart on Instagram. I am also at wholehumanheart.com. Blog also that is linked to both of those. So, and it is wanderingwordsadventures.com. And I offer coaching around harm reduction stuff, substance use stuff, self-development and recovery coach. So available for that. I also do, as I mentioned, the mindful use and harm reduction group, which is, like I said, just about holding loving space for people who want to look at their drinking, want to look at their smoking, whatever it is. And then uh, I also have a 30 days mindfully sober program available, which is just for people who want to take like a 30 day break and want to incorporate mindfulness practices into that so that they can develop that sort of deeper intimacy and with themselves around, around their youths. And that comes with two one-on-one coaching sessions as well. Oh, I love that so much. And guys, we will have all of that linked in the show notes below. So scroll down and check that out. You can have the link for Rachel's blog and website and all the things right down there. So we will link that. But Rachel, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank you for just all your wisdom and perspective really today. It's been just so awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and for, and also for doing this work and being willing to step into uncomfortable spaces with so many people. It's really invaluable and and I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, guys, we will see you next week on the Let's Get Uncomfy podcast. Don't forget to send this to somebody or post it on your socials, tag us, let us know. Also go slide into Rachel's DMs because she's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for today, guys. And we will see you later. Bye everyone. That is all for today, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Hey, I'd be so grateful if you took one second to send this podcast to one person you know would love it. And also don't forget, leave a five-star review because honestly, go big or freaking go home, Becky, okay? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or a follow if you're listening through Spotify. Also, go ahead and check this out at letsgetuncomfy.podcast.com 
and myself at Annie underscore fit life fit me on Instagram. Tag us in your stories. Let me know how you're getting uncomfy and what you loved about today's episodes. Now go do it. Go get uncomfy. Pursue what others consider unlikely. I double dog area.